Now, I want you to know that this is not a complete class. So you can't look at it and say, well, they talked about the life of Jesus, but they didn't talk about this. Yeah, we're not going to talk about some of those things because then we're going to be here for a longer time than just four weeks if we really want to get into every nook and cranny and everything that Jesus did, said, and even the things that are not recorded in Scripture that he did and said. There's a lot more to it. So even Scripture itself does not have all of what Jesus did. And we know that to be true because the Bible says so. If you read the very last verse in John, can somebody have a Bible open because it's going to help me? D Daniel. Okay, so read the very last the very last Scripture in, in the Gospel according to John and, and just tell me what it says. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. So you see that? So which means even what we have in the Gospels is not all of it. So that Jesus did a lot more than what we have in the Gospels. So this is to the point that what we picked out is what I think is going to be essential, at least for this year that we're living out. Okay. So what we're going to look at, we're going to look at prophecies about the coming of Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at the birth of Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at the early years, so what he did in his early years. And then even in that, there's sections that we're going to pick out from. We're, going, we're not going to be able to go, go into everything. Then the call of the disciples. That is just going to be phenomenal. You don't want to miss that one. And then miracles and teachings. Um, and then opposition to ministry. Daniel Wheeler is going to be teaching that one. I'm excited. Then the final acts of Christ on earth and then the role of Jesus today. So those are the things that we're going to look at. Um, Pastor Josh Romano is coming in for the birth of Jesus. Are you doing the early years? Okay, Ashley is doing the early years. And miracles and teachings is myself. Opposition to ministry is Daniel. And then the final acts of Christ on earth is Haley. And then I'll close it out with the role of Jesus. So I'm going to be doing a lot more teaching this time around than in previous times. Okay, so let's go to the prophecies about the coming of Jesus. Now, why would it be essential for us to know that there was a prophetic word that was spoken um, before Jesus was on the earth? Why would, it in, why would that be important for us to know that? Anybody want to give it a go on that one? Why would it be important for us to know that there were prophetic words spoken about Jesus? Because he fulfilled them, right? So that increases our faith, it helps us to believe. Anybody else? It, it, it establishes the absolute integrity of the word of God. I like that. So the prophetic word is spoken. All your answers were excellent. But the prophetic word is spoken so that when Jesus does come on the earth, you and I don't miss it. So when God speaks prophetically, he's setting you and I up to be able to see the thing when the thing actually begins to happen. Prophecy exists in two different forms. Number one is foretelling, which means you're being told something that is going to happen in the future. And then number two is foretelling, which is giving you an instruction for the now in order for your future to look the way that God wants it to look like. So foretelling is the wall is going to fall down in 200 years from now. 
That means it's going to happen. So you prepare yourself for the wall to fall down. So similar to Joseph, remember when he sees the vision, seven years of plenty and seven years of lean, it, that prophetic dream was for him to prepare for the seven years of lean. Okay, so that he puts himself in position to be prepared for that, in which he did. And Egypt at that time under Joseph becomes a very successful and prosperous nation because of that prophetic word that was given to say, this is what's going to happen. Fourth telling is to say, if you continue in this way, this is what will happen. Okay, if you continue in this way, this is what will happen. And so you then know that if you adjust yourself or if you change course from the direction that you're going, then what was going to happen can be averted, okay? So God then gives you the instruction to say, hey, listen, this is gonna happen if you continue in this way. So either way, prophecy is there to help you position yourself for what is going to happen next, okay? What is going to happen next? That is what prophecy is, is, is for. So it's foundational to the Christian faith. You know, prophecy is foundational to the Christian faith. Now, there's a tendency when you're dealing with the uh, spiritual gifts or dealing with the supernatural to have them operate kind of in the air, kind of have a, a hint of mysticism to it, a hint of, of ooh-la-la to it, and, 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 and that is not God. Okay, that, that mysticism, that, that, that ooh-la-la, that, you know, I, I start going into a trance and acting like, I'm burning up and and all of a sudden I say something profound and then we go oh my gosh you know God literally took over his body and 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 then spoke no a prophetic word can simply be hey man I just I just I just sense that there's going to be years of 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 great things happening I feel like God's going to do some awesome things in the future and I feel like New Song Church is going to grow to 10,000 members I just I just sense that that's a prophetic word. So it doesn't have to be, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't have to be filled with mysticism for it to have authority. Yeah. Okay? So, and, and then in the same vein, it doesn't have to, um, it doesn't have to be guesswork. Okay? It doesn't have to be guesswork. As much as you have faith in the things that, that are of God, as much as you have faith in the things that are of God, the same faith is needed when you're functioning in the prophetic. And so the prophetic is important because it is a pillar of, of, of faith. And, and, and that's bo both um, um, rabbonic uh, Judaism or just Judaism itself. So the people that believe in Jesus, the Jews that believe in Jesus, and the Jews that don't believe that Jesus came, is he still yet to come. They're still waiting for him. And then those that have accepted that Jesus is the Messiah that was to come. Either one of those groups of people, prophecy is integral. If you look at any religion, they will obviously champion prophecy because it seems to carry with it the weight of of, of deity, the weight of, of uh, a gift to be able to say, we see what's going to happen uh, be prepared. So, so prophecy is very integral to what God wants to do, and 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 I think it's important for us to see that He is the first prophet. God is the first prophet. There is no prophet before God. God is the first prophet, and God is the one who established uh, uh, prophecy. So, there are two realms in which things function or things work, and we talked about the supernatural. 
Uh, so then you've got the, the, the natural or what you call in the physical. So in both realms, we have to have victory. We have to have victory in the natural, uh, victory in the supernatural, and victory in the natural. And so God gives the prophetic word so that we have victory in both our supernatural sense and also in the natural sense. So which means that supernaturally you can be given a word and it, it, it can happen it, it can happen supernaturally. So in other words, um, when Daniel begins to pray in the book of Daniel, uh, the Bible says the moment you started to pray, things started to move, right? So that was a supernatural breakthrough. But he didn't see anything in the natural. We're together, he didn't see anything yet in the natural. It happened supernatural. So there's a supernatural breakthrough. And then if you read the book of Daniel, there's a fight between the principalities and the powers to get the answer to Daniel. But eventually it does get to Daniel and then it manifests in the natural. So there's both of those. And in both places, the supernatural and the natural, God uses the prophetic to give us victory. Okay, to give us victory and to position us in a place of victory. And so when God speaks prophetically at the very beginning, it is for the path uh, to redemption because he wants to redeem. And to redeem is, is to buy back, to reestablish that which once was. So we have to look at the first prophetic word that is spoken, that, that, that God actually spoke. And, and the first prophetic word had to do with redemption which is to buy back. And the reason why that's important for us is because as you go forward and you see every prophetic word that is spoken from that point on till even now, it is always for the path to redemption. Okay, it is always for the path to redemption because God is the same yesterday and, okay, so he's not going to change his nature. So the prophetic is not, Always to, you know, we're going to beef you up so that you're just wealthy or so that you're this or so that you're that. The prophetic is always given because it has a redemptiveness to it to position somebody in the place of righteousness and in the place of truth. I forgot to mention in your books, you do have spaces for you to write notes. So if you want to put additional notes, I haven't really started answering the questions that are in your book yet, but you have places where you can actually put notes in there. So if you want to write notes, go ahead and write notes. I remember the last one probably didn't have as much space. So let's look at that. Daniel, you with me? Genesis chapter 3.15. So let's look at the first prophecy that we see about Jesus or about the coming of Jesus. Um, when you're ready, sir, do you want to use the mic so that the people on, on that are listening in can, can hear you? Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. All right. So, now, it's easy to look at that and go, uh, is that really prophetic? And, and, and yes, it is. So, when you're reading the Bible, this is on, on the class on how to read the Bible also, you have got to see uh, symbolism and uh, when the Bible uses metaphors. So you've got to see what God is doing there in Genesis 3 and 15. So again, we talked about the redemptive path. And so the snake, um, right there, we can see that the snake, he's talking about Satan and the influence of Satan. And so he speaks prophetically about the seed of the woman. If you read that scripture in the Amplified Version, the word seed is in capital S, 
okay? And that capital S is showing us that the seed is not just any of Adam's children, but the seed being Jesus, who is going to step onto the scene and will crush the head of, uh, of the serpent. But to appreciate this, we want to see what was the sin, sin of Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve actually do? Anybody want to crack at that? What did Adam and Eve actually do? What was their sin? They obeyed another voice. They obeyed another voice. I like that. Yes. They doubted God's word. They doubted God's word. Yep. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be like God. Okay. A desire to be like God. Now, if you were listening last Sunday, I talked about this also. Okay, so first of all, there is a necessity to have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. It needs to be there. Why does it need to be there? Does anybody want to crack at that? Exactly. So you have a choice. If there is no tree of knowledge and good and evil and the commandment to not eat of that tree, then man has no option to exercise will. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil exists so that man has an option to eat it or not to. Because God is not creating robots. He's creating people that have the same DNA and structure as him, which means they have to have free will. So they have to be able to choose. So their sin was in listening to a different voice and making a choice that was contrary to what God had given them, contrary to what God's path and direction for them uh, was supposed to be. So their sin, because of exercising their will, dirtied up or blemished the word of truth. Okay, you see that? It blemished the word of truth. And, and I think it's important, like I, like I was talking on Sunday last time, it's important for us to recognize that these people were naked and not ashamed. Think about that. They're naked and they don't have a sense of shame at all. So the senses that we feel of, of, of pain, of shame, of disappointment, of hurt, of, of anger, of all those things, they were innocent of that. And by simply disobeying and eating that fruit and listening to the voice of Satan, all that came into the world. All that came into life. That is death. That right there is, is, is death. And then so also entered the physical death. And so, because again, the, the wages of sin is death, so something had to die. And we already know that he then kills the animals, and then he takes the hide and he clothes them. So there was a sacrifice that was already made for their sin right there in the garden. So that was their sin, was they, had, they, they, they exercised their will to listen to Satan, and so gave authority. They yielded their authority on this earth to Satan. Because remember, earth is given to man. Earth is given to man to have authority and dominion. Let us make man in our own image. Let them have dominion over the earth, have the right over the earth. So here you have the right 
to choose God or you have the right to disobey him. And they exercise that right by disobeying, which then enters the dominion or the authority of Satan. So then we look at it. What, 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 what did this cause? What's the, pun the punishment? So the, it, the punishment essentially is living without the innocence of the word of God. Because initially, Adam, his job, he had a job. He had work. The Bible says that he would name an animal whatever he named it so it was. But that changed because the innocence is lost. So the punishment living without the word of God is that things can still happen, but the hap they happen with toil. They happen with labor. So I don't know how, how women would have given birth if there was no uh, sin, if nothing had happened. But again, you even what do we call a woman giving birth? She goes into? Exactly. So, so, so people will, you know, you can think about it and start saying, wow, we have epidurals now, so it is not painful. But you don't say, I did not go into labor because I had an epidural. You still go into labor. Right, So there's a labor to the giving birth and a labor to the toil of bringing food or fruit from the land. So what was the, the punishment, because again, you've removed the purity and the innocence of the word of God. The punishment now is even as you exist with the word, you exist with toil, with labor to produce the same fruit. So that's why you and I love God so much but we go four weeks without reading our Bibles or without praying. Struggle to tithe. Struggle to do the things that God wants us to do. Why? Because now there has to be a labor to what we're doing because of the original sin. Right? Because there's no longer innocence of word. When innocence of word is there, the labor is, is taken away. So that's why we need to lean on Christ and lean on Jesus in order for us to actually live out this Christian life because he has to do it for us, right? We die so that he might live inside us, okay? Make sense? So then that answers the next question, why did man need a savior? So man could not save himself. It's, it's, it, once the, the, the white paper or the white sheet is, is spoiled, it's spoiled. It cannot in and of itself make itself clean. You need somebody else to clean it up. Does that make sense? You need somebody else to clean it up. And so to clean it up, God had to do the job. And so that's why he had to come. But then he, in doing that, he has to do it and respect the laws that he has established. Who has authority on the earth? No. Man is supposed to have authority on the earth, right? So he's already established and he says, men, you have authority on the earth, right? Subdue, have dominion over the earth. That is what you're supposed to do. Sin, authority is given to Satan. So in order for him to come, he has to respect the laws because he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. So once he establishes a thing, it is. It's not going to change, right? So how is it that we're going to bring about the salvation of men in this instance? So he has to come on earth, but he has to come on earth being God, which is why he's birthed out of a spoken word, but through a woman because he has to have humanity in order for him to be as man and operate like a man. So when a spirit, an evil spirit or a devil, again, don't think mysticism. Don't get stuck in that mysticism thing. Because if you get stuck, who demon or whatever, you actually won't be able to see. 
because we we can get stuck in the senses, right? And and the flesh is so good about senses, right? And we know that because all those commercials get us every time, because the flesh is so good about senses. So don't let your flesh let you get stuck in that place. So he then has to come. And, and, and the spirit and the demon, whenever it is in the earth, if it is not occupying a body, it is here illegally. That is why the spirit then has to enter a man, a physical person, to have the legality to function on the earth. That's why when the pigs, when, when, when uh, uh, the, the demon says, you know, throw us into those pigs, they did not want to be here illegally because the moment they're here legally, then it is easy for them to be transferred and taken out. So that's why they said we need to have a physical body in order for us to actually exist. So God then respects that. So that's why he has to come in the form of a man so that he can take back that authority that Satan had taken. Okay? So, so... That's why man needed a savior because he couldn't do it. So remember, it says the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, of, of the world, right? Because again, we've already established the sacrifice. In Genesis right there, we can see the sacrifice when he kills the animal, take their hide to clothe the man. We can already see that. And so, and so from that point, the sacrifice of animals begins. But the sacrifice of an animal only covers sin, right? That's all it does. But John, when he sees Jesus for the first time, says the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's what he does. So when we look at the first prophetic word, um, the first prophetic word is about Jesus. What does it say and what does it mean for you and me? So a bruising of the heel, which means, again, we're always going to have a struggle through our walk in life. Always. Right? For no, 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 none is righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we know that to be true. So that's, that's, the, that's the, 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 the heel there. But then also the head is going to be crushed. And the crushing of the head of the snake also speaks to a crushing of an ideological thought. Because from the head stems thinking and stems influence. So the snake is crushed so that there is no influence to man so that man can go back to the original state of walking in righteousness. Because man contends with two enemies, external, which is Satan, and internal, which is the flesh. Which is why when we die, we're going to get a new body because the one that we have has a sin nature in it. So the new body means that man does not have the contamination from the body and can exist in the state in which the word is in purity and truth. Right? So you get rid of Satan, you get rid of the body, man can walk in absolute truth again. Make sense? Okay. So let's talk about the prophecies of birth. I'm going to have to speed you through because Pastor Josh Roman is in the back there and he needs more time than I've given him. So <laughs> we're going to cruise through this. So we're going to talk about the prophecies of birth. Okay. So again, we talked about the original prophetic word being a redemptive word or setting the path of redemption. And so as you go forth and you look at all the prophetic words, they really are set up in order to have a redemptive effect or an establishing effect in the truth that God wants us to be established in. So our focus is going to be Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Daniel? You, you'll get that. There you go. Yes. All right. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, 
and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Thank you. Okay, so government. The word government there is not talking about a democracy, which is why sometimes it becomes difficult for us to actually understand kingdom, which is going to be the next class we're going to do when the next discipleship class comes around. We're going to talk about kingdom, the kingdom of God, and what, the, what that means. So the government there has to do with rule and dominion. Rule and dominion. Rule and dominion of Jesus' kingdom. So he introduces, Jesus is the one who introduces the concept of kingdom. So the idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not there until Jesus. So he comes in. So that's the government that we're talking about. The government of his kingdom. And this government transcends culture and it transcends all other governments, all other worlds, all other nations. So it's not a government or a kingdom that is on the northeast side corner, right? He says, my kingdom is not here. You cannot see it, right? Because the kingdom is of principle. The kingdom is of a way of living. That's what the kingdom is. So that's why it transcends culture. It doesn't matter where you're from. The moment you enter into the kingdom, what has to change is your way of thinking. You don't change your physical location to be in the kingdom. You change your outlook, your perception. Okay, so why is it for us? Why is it important for us to understand um, the names that Jesus is called? Is what I think I'm trying to say there. So names are very important in the Bible, unlike just calling somebody Josh. <laughs> I'm just messing. Joshua has it has meaning. Joshua has meaning. <laughs> okay, so. Names have meaning. So again, in, in present culture, sometimes we give people names because they're nice or they're good names or they sound nice or they sound pretty. But there's a depth of culture in the Jewish tradition that when you give a name, it has meaning to it. Okay? So by looking at the name, the names of God, we're able to know his character. We're able to know his um, nature. And we're able to know his mission. And we're able to know his call. So that's why it's important for us to understand his name because then we have the ability to see that. So why is it referred to as the throne of David? Okay, so if you look again at the prophetic words that are given, David is also given a prophetic word about his son dwelling on his throne. But here, more importantly, why it is the throne of David. Okay, so the first king that, Jesus, that, that God anoints and is not dethroned and doesn't turn to evil is David. And his reign brought about prosperity to Israel and expansion of Israel. All the tribes are at peace under David. And in addition to that, the birthing of the temple, the idea of building a temple actually came from David, even though Solomon built it. So, so David is king. So that's the first time we see the establishment of kingdom under 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 David. Solomon was the first king, but Solomon went off the rails. And then David exists in pure righteousness and all that, which is why he's a man after God's own heart, even though we know that he sinned. But so the kingdom, the kingship is going to follow the reign of David, not of Solomon. 
So that's why the seed does not come through Solomon's kingship, but through David's. We together? So that's why it is the throne of David and not the throne of Solomon. And the Jews understood this and they admired David, which when uh, Pastor Joshua Romani gets a chance, I don't know if he'll ever get a chance to speak, he will talk a little bit more about that. Okay, why are the two things Jesus rules with important? So the two things, justice and righteousness. Okay, so the sin in the world needs to be judged, right? And then righteousness needs to be restored. So that's why he rules with justice and righteousness. Okay, so then this next part, I'm going to give it to you as homework. Okay, so we're going to look at the prophecies of Jesus' life. I've given you four there, Psalm 40 verse 9, Hosea 11, 1, Zechariah 9, 9, Psalm 55, 12, and 14. I want you to go look for the scriptures in which these prophetic words are fulfilled. And then I want you to add five more. What's that? Okay, then I want you to add five more. Okay, then I want you to add five more. So look at those. There is plenty plenty but i want you to look at them and i want you to add five more now once you finish this homework you're going to send it to discipleship at newsongpeople.com daniel wheeler is going to look at it he's going to respond to you and tell you whether you're doing an excellent job or not now nah, he's nice he always says something nice about you but go ahead and do that so we're going to do that as homework so prophecies of the crucifixion so isaiah 53 uh, 5 and then Psalm 16 9 and 10. Now, how do we know that Isaiah was talking about Jesus in Isaiah 53? Here's what's beautiful about Isaiah in every single scripture that you read in that chapter, most of them, you can see the fulfillment of them in the gospel. Okay, so the first one, Isaiah 53 and verse 1, that they will come and they will not believe in him. What I wanted to do was to have one person read Isaiah here and another person look at the fulfillment. But uh, I need to go quickly here because I, I, I want to give Pastor Josh as much time as I can. So they will not believe in him. That was the first thing that he said in Isaiah 5, uh, 55, 53 and verse 1. And then we know that they didn't believe in him, right? John chapter 1, verse 10 to 11, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him they did not believe him john 12 37 and 38 also i will send these as notes to you so that you can add them to your notes okay uh, uh verse 2 talks about him being an ordinary man okay uh it, where i come from we call it philemon but i think you're going to call it philemon is that correct philemon Okay, so Philemon 2, 6 and 8 talks about the ordinary man. He was despised, Luke 4, 28 and 29. Rejected, Matthew 27, verse 21 to 23. Verse 3, see a great sorrow and grief, Matthew 26, verse 37 to 38, and Luke 19 and 41. So I will send you this whole list so that you can have it. And so that's why it is important for us to study Isaiah 53 because it tells us that he is talking about the um, about the Messiah. Now, why does Jesus come to earth in, in humble appearance and manner? Anybody want to crack that one? Why is he coming in humble appearance and manner? Okay. 
He's being a master. He's being humble. Correct? Correct. That's, the pro- that's, that's also the prophetic aspect of it. And he was going to make the foolish, the, the, the wise things, the foolish things. How am I trying to say this? He was going to make the grandiose, the awesome things of this world to become foolish things. So he's coming in as a man and in humble appearance because of that. Okay, so in sales, right? So I'm giving you a sales tip of what salespeople are going to do. In sales, if I want you to buy a $500 jacket, I don't show you the $500 jacket first. What I do is I show you the $1,000 jacket first, okay? By the time we get to 500, then I show you a $700 one and a 750. By the time I get to 500, you're already conditioned to think 500 is cheap because I showed you the most expensive one first. Christ does it the reverse. He comes in humble manner and in an appearance that is nothing to be gleaned on because he's coming to meet you and me at our point of need. That is why the Bible also says it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because a rich man is conditioned to see value in certain things that when he sees Christ, he doesn't see the value of Christ because of his lowly appearance. But it is easy when you come to the place of humility, that is why you must have faith like that of a child because a child growing in poverty does actually not know that they're growing in po- growing up in poverty. Okay? Okay. Uh, how is the prophecy of Psalm 1610 fulfilled in the Gospels? I'm going to shorten that. Your answer is going to be John chapter 20, verse 9. The prophecy of Psalm 1610 is fulfilled, John chapter 20, verse 9. Why was the crucifixion and resurrection important to salvation? My goodness, I could teach this forever, but okay. Read Exodus 12, verse 3 to 13, and you will find that the condition of the Lamb is that the lamb was supposed to be unblemished. Okay, this is talking about the Passover. So the lamb that was to be sacrificed on Passover, this is the first Passover. It was supposed to be unblemished. It actually was supposed to bleed because, again, the life of the animal is in the blood. So it had to bleed, so it had to give blood, and the blood had to be smeared all over um, the, the, the sacrificial deal where they're sacrificing it. And then they had to eat of the flesh of the animal that they had sacrificed. Christ was without sin, unblemished. He bled. And that's when he established communion. Is where we eat. Like we're eating the flesh of the sacrificed animal. And on the same day that the lamb would have been sacrificed was the same day that Jesus was crucified. So he is the lamb of God. That's why crucifixion is important because the way that he is crucified is exactly how the lamb was supposed to be sacrificed in order for God to receive the sacrifice. And then resurrection is important because, again, resurrection establishes the authority. So the completion of why the lambs only covered the sin is that the lamb never rose up. But in Christ, he dies and he raises up again, and that's the taking away of your sin. Because now that he is the resurrected Christ, what's the word? All authority. 
has been given to me. He didn't say that prior to crucifixion. He says that after the resurrection. And that's when he took, takes authority from the enemy, leads the captives in his train. So crucifixion and resurrection are very important to salvation. Okay? All right. I'll come back at the end if we have time. But I would like to ask Pastor Josh Romano. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. We appreciate you. You are the man. I don't care what Daniel was saying about you three minutes ago. Well, if Daniel's talking about me, I know it's good. <clears throat> What's up, guys? Everybody good? <clears throat> Who was here last night? Anybody? All right. Awesome. Thanks. Last night was great. Again, just a reminder, if you guys want to come on Saturday nights, we've got Chick-fil-A. We have dinner together. So it's a lot of fun. It helps uh, open up seats uh, for those um, that need to be here on Sunday mornings. Good stuff, Pastor Tondrai. Um, also, what's great is today we have an opportunity to take communion as a church body. So the stuff he was talking about today, we're going to get to do in service for those of you that haven't attended. Um, it's going to be awesome. Um, <clears throat> I was going through this. I mean, I tell you, there's a lot. We're going to talk about the birth of Jesus in session two in your notes, if you look at it. And, you know, it's funny when, when Pastor Tondrai was like, hey, will you talk about the birth of Jesus? I thought, yeah, I've got five to ten minutes. We can talk about the birth of Jesus. Like, you know. It's a pretty simple story. Read the book, and then, uh, you know, that we all do at Christmas. But really, as you dive into the birth of Jesus, and you look at it, and you really look at everything that's been done, um, and the prophecies that are fulfilled, it it is, there's a lot of detail in there. A lot of detail. And it's important that the detail's in there. And it's important that the detail's in there from the standpoint of the prophecies being fulfilled. I, I'm going to mess this up. So... Don't requote this because it's 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 absolutely incorrect. But it's something that goes like this. Uh, I heard somebody say one time, like the odds of Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies are like if you covered the earth in coins that were like five feet deep, okay, like the whole earth. And I don't know if it was five feet, ten feet, three feet, two feet. Regardless, a lot of coins, right? And they were all silver. And then you were like flying in a helicopter above the earth, and it was like, hey, you've got one chance to go pick the gold coin and find it. That was the odds of it being done, <laughs> which is crazy when you think about it. But it also points to the fact that like Jesus is who he said he was, and he is who he says he is. And a lot of this goes into that. And um, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible when we look at the importance of the birth of Jesus. And uh, funny story, actually, this week. Uh, I was with my son on Friday, and my son Elijah, who's six, is awesome. Probably one of the sweetest kids you'll ever meet. I'm not biased or anything towards it. But I asked him, I said, hey, if you could get in a time machine and go back in time, any place in history, where would you go? And he, he sat there and thought for a minute. He was eating Chick-fil-A, and he said, probably to the birth of Jesus. And I said, really? And I said, why? And he goes, that way I could hold baby Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. Uh, and he didn't know I was teaching on this. So thank you, Elijah, for giving me a nice little anecdotal piece to talk about. But anyway, the, the importance of the birth of Jesus is so important because it does mark a significant change in time, a significant change in time from, from what had taken place and to what, was, what is to take place. Um, and then you see that the Messiah is on the scene. And what's crazy about it, and I think what, like, what Pastor Tonda and I talked about is with so many prophetic words, with so much that was talked about, you would think that it would have been a bigger, more uh, publicized in that time, so to speak, event, but it wasn't. 
just like he said, he he came uh, it, to the lowly, like he was born in a manger, and um, you know, surrounded um, not by kings and people in, in high authority, uh, but just a, a fascinating the way that he came, fascinating in the fact that he came and and and, and how he did so, and what a need we had for Jesus to come, to step out of heaven uh, and to come to this earth. So, so incredible. Um, and as we look at the, the Gospels, this is talked about in two different Gospels. It's talked about in Matthew and in Luke. And how many of you guys, when you get to a place in the Bible where it's going through genealogies, just automatically go, okay, where does this end? All right, right there. That's where I'll pick up. You can be honest. I do it. How many of you guys do that? You like get to the genealogy part and you're like, this is really, this means nothing to me. And I don't know how much I can pull revelation from this. But actually, again, this is one of those details that's so important when you look at the birth of Jesus and when you look at the difference between the two gospels. And that's the other thing that I think is great when you look at the difference between Matthew and Luke is the writers that inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these gospels, their specific purpose and meaning on how they wrote it and what the Holy Spirit inspired them to write because of the audiences that they were writing to. And so when we look at it, the the narrative of Jesus's birth, um, taking into consideration of the Gospels, like I said, Matthew and Luke give us the details surrounding the birth. Uh, I'm going to read this a little bit verbatim here because there's so much info. Luke has more detail because his writing is to the Gentiles which would be us, right? There are people away from Jewish culture. And the reason why there's more detail um, is because uh, the Gentiles didn't have the benefit of the oral tradition or written documents, and so they needed, he needed to include more detail. Matthew's writing was mostly to the Jewish audience, which is why it's less wordy, and it got straight to the heart of things. Matthew was my kind of guy. Like, we're, we're not going to just give a bunch of words. We're going to cut straight to it. <laughs> Um, and uh, one of the distinctions in style and content is found in the very first impression of Jesus' birth and the genealogy and the bloodline from which the Messiah would come. So in your workbooks, we're going to start here at question one, and it's what's the difference between the two genealogies? So again, we touched on it a little bit, but when we look at Matthew, Matthew recorded the genealogy, or I'm, I'm sorry, the, the ancestry of Joseph, Okay. So that'd be the father, Jesus' father. He began with Abraham and tracked the ancestry down to Joseph. And again, think about it. Like from Jewish culture, there's going to be a greater understanding, and they're going to, they're going to understand where, where Matthew's coming from on this. So Matthew wrote primarily to a Jewish audience whose culture readily accepted Abraham as the father of their faith and Abraham's connection to God. Uh, Matthew showcased Jesus' lineages through the father that raised him, Joseph, and the approach Matthew took as the tax collector was one speaking of Joseph's legal genealogy and inheritance. Again, that's one of the interesting things when you see uh, the role of the tax collector and then Luke being a physician, you kind of can see the difference in the way that they, they took their approach on the, the genealogy. Uh, Matthew had to prove the uh, Abrahamic and uh, Davidic covenants. Matthew skipped generations, keeping each at 14, uh, which spoke to the significant numbers and figures in the Jewish faith because this genealogy was not about a complete bloodline, but a spiritual inheritance. That's an important key. Um, and then like Pastor Tondrai, um talked about, Matthew followed David's son Solomon, the builder of the temple, um, which for the Jews spoke to the Davidic, Davidic inheritance that came by Solomon. Again, so it comes talking about the line of David because of the temple um, that David had built. Then we look at Luke. Luke recorded the ancestry of Mary. 
Uh, this is well supported by historians, historians who believe the longer ancestry used the verbiage son due to lack of a Jewish, Jewish term for son-in-law and refers to the masculine figure due to the culture context of a starting point. That's important because in the culture and the context in which they wrote, sometimes it's easy to, to, to get a little bit sideways on what exactly they're saying. But when it goes through, I believe in Luke and Tondra, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, when it says son of, it's really referring to like son-in-law because of a lack of terminology there. So again, it's because Luke's going through the ancestry of Mary. He spoke more to a Gentile audience and wrote to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, whose natural descendancy can be traced back to God himself. Uh, Luke showcased the Jesus lineages through his mother, Mary, and Luke needed to prove his physical bloodline to Christ. Uh, Luke followed David's son, Nathan, following the bloodline of Mary, um, and ultimately we see that these two genealogies spoke and satisfied the different criteria for different audiences speaking to a royal bloodline and a physical bloodline. Pretty cool, huh? Who knew that? Who's, is that new information, everybody? It was new information to me as I studied it. Um, and so it was good. It's good stuff. Um, let's go through and look at question two here, which is which ancestors were told of Jesus's birth through their line? Now, this is important because, again, this fulfills the prophecies. And so as we look at it, it's important to look at uh, proving the bloodline. And so we're going to look at the key uh, players who were told about the coming Savior. Uh, by looking at this, we begin to see that the case is being made by each of the writers um, that, the, that, that Jesus is who he says he is. And so by knowing history surrounding the people uh, to whom God allowed to know uh, that he could send his Redeemer, his Redeemer and Savior to the world, we can also appreciate who Jesus is and why he had to come. So let's first look at Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve are the first ones that we get to see in Genesis that are told of Jesus is coming to the earth. Um, and again, I'm reading a lot of this verbatim so that we can make sure that we cover it because it's, it's all so good. God's redemptive plan was set in motion um, the moment the judgment of sin was issued. That's how good God is. The moment that sin entered the world, God began to go ahead and put a plan in place to redeem man. Um, and what's cool about it, I think, is it's not like Adam and Eve were just all of a sudden thrown by the wayside. It was, it was to give them hope, to realize, like, okay, we messed up, but man, God, God has a plan. There's a plan in place, and it's moving forward. So even from the very beginning, when it looks like, like you think about it from mankind in the Old Testament, where you're going, man... Because I'll say this, what a benefit it is that we get to live on this side of the cross, right? <laughs> I mean, have you ever thought about that? Going, man, I, man, this is, I am so grateful that I'm on this side of the cross and, and, and wasn't on, on the other side. And you can kind of maybe begin to think about how it certainly would be hard. But even in those moments when sin had taken place and there was mistakes, God still is providing hope and providing a plan, which speaks to the character and the nature of the God that we serve. So good. So Adam and Eve, um, and again, for the whole journey to come full circle, it would require God himself to do it. Pastor Tonry talked about this so great last week uh, in his message in how God is referred to the second Adam. And when you look at the, the similarities between the two, how, how Adam came onto the scene and how Jesus came onto the scene, um, what, what man failed to do. I always say this, I, I, that's why I love the Garden of Gethsemane so much, because what man failed to do in the garden, Jesus did in the garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And so he comes back full circle, and there's so much similarity to it, and I love it. He restored what, uh, what, what man failed to do. 
Let's look at Abraham. Abraham was told about the nations to be blessed through him. Uh, Jesus spoke to Abraham knowing of his day. You'll, you'll find this in John 8, 56. Uh, I don't know if that's in your notes, but put that down. Uh, the, well, uh, I'm sorry, the talking about Abraham is in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, but uh, Jesus spoke to Abraham. Um, and we've got record of that in John eight fifty six. It says the Abrahamic promise is key and important to understand because uh, this was the first promise of a nation or a people being built that would have the DNA from Abraham or the DNA of Abraham, which is why he's the father of our faith. God was setting up in us and in them. In Abraham, with all the promises and blessings, the key of faith leading to righteousness was given, um, and Abraham was able to see the blessing of the Lord operating abundantly in his life. Um, for him to rejoice about the coming Messiah means that there was an inheritance here that Abraham was never going to get to enjoy. And isn't that unique? Like, he's rejoicing in an inheritance that he would never get to fully enjoy, but it was for future generations that they would have access to because God would have been blessed by the seed of Abraham having the power to bring about a family that is as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand in the seashore. I love that. And then, of course, we have David. Um, God speaks to David about the coming and um, referencing in Psalm 110. Um, but again, the promises of David, or I'm sorry, the promises of Abraham were pushed through to the promises of David, and we see that Jesus comes from the house of David. So let me ask this question, and it's in question three, but why is it important to have record of Jesus's ancestry? Why is that something that's so important? Anybody want to take a swing at that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Gives him legitimate claim to the throne, keeps us connected. Those are great. Yeah, it does. It's important. Yeah, James? Uh, it reminds us that the life of the flesh is in the blood, and we inherited uh, our sin nature. Good. It's not necessarily behavior. Really, it's the root, not the fruit. Mm, that's good. That's good. We were born that way. Yeah. Yeah, and it's important to, that's good. All those answers are great. I think those are great things to, to look at. And it's important that we have record of Jesus' ancestry so that we can, so that there is a legitimacy to who Jesus is and to the fact that it's his throne and his kingdom. It's to show evidence that Jesus was the one spoken of as he had come through the bloodline um, that the prophet said he would. It was that he was of Jewish descent, which would have been important to the Jews. Um, and he was a descendant of deity, pr proving that he is the God of the Gentiles. Uh, and there's a diversity in his lineage uh, where we get to meet individuals that were not of pure royalty. This is great, too. I think that's important for us to understand. Like, there are descendants that go back in Jesus' life, like Ruth, you know, somebody who just this incredible woman of character and did so great, but she wasn't a part of the royal bloodline. And then you have uh, someone like Rahab who was a prostitute, and certainly her character um, you know, could be called into question, so to speak. But you look at what she did and the fact of where she's placed in Scripture, you're going, okay. Like it, it speaks to the fact that like Jesus came for everyone, okay? And we all have a place um, in his family. Um, why do you think God-inspired Scriptures includes genealogies? Um, biblical genealogies serve as an important role in Scripture. Um, the Bible is a book written by men 
uh, but it's inspired by God. That's always important for us to understand. So the the authenticity of the author who is writing needs to be established. So in addition, uh, we look at the text, um, and it's given credence because it shows the characters are real people who actually lived and walked in this earth. Um, once these two things are set, historic, historical reliability uh, can also be confirmed. Um, through genealogy, um, it's important that we see that people come from people and family is important to God. So, I mean, it's important. That's, I think that's a lot of what, why you see genealogy and the importance of it is in Scripture because it speaks to the importance of family. And, and family, the family dynamic, not just our family dynamic that we have here on earth, but from a spiritual standpoint, family is so important to God. That's why, that's why God sent his son Jesus. That's why God stepped out of heaven himself so that we could be a part of his family. And there are people who played significant roles in doing so, which, again, fulfilled prof- prophecy and had an impact on what was happening at the time. Um, so let's look at some of the players um, that are in this story of the birth of Jesus. Um, we're going to look at a couple of verses here. Uh, Daniel, I'm not going to get up and have you read these verses but because uh, they're lengthy. Uh, but looking at Matthew, we're going to look at Luke 1 and Matthew 2. And again, uh, homework for this stuff, too, is certainly to read these, to read these with the understanding of what we've talked about. Go back through and read these. And here's, here's a benefit. If you're going through the Being Transformed journal, we've already read a lot of this stuff, or we're in the process of reading it. So make sure, I, you know, we read through Luke. Right now we're going through Matthew uh, as a church. <clears throat> but go back through and read some of these things. Um, and, and uh, with some of the understanding that we're, we're given in this class. So again, our focus verses are Luke 1 and Matthew 2, uh, but Matthew 1, 18 through 25, Luke 1, 5 through 25, 39 through 45, and Luke 2, 1 through 20. Okay, so what role did angels play uh, or have throughout the coming of Jesus? This is pretty cool. So you think about the fact that like, there's been 400 years of silence, Okay. So from Malachi to now, it's been quiet, which is a real unique history of time in the Bible. You've got all these prophets, you've got all this stuff going on, and then all of a sudden you've got this 400-year gap where no prophet has risen up, and there's, there's really no activity as, as far as what's been continuing. And so, you, But you've got this event that's been prophesied about, right? And so <clears throat> you think about it, and if God is looking to communicate through somebody Who's God going to use in this time frame? Who's he going to use? Well, he uses angels. He uses angels to initially begin the process of communicating this. And I, I actually, it's, it's one of my favorite stories when you see Zacharias going into the temple. <laughs> and he's a, he's, a, he's a man that's a, he's a good man, right? Like, this is not a guy that, he's a priest. He goes into the temple, an angel appears before him, and he's told that, hey, your wife is going to give birth to John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. And um, you see two different responses here. Um, and I think I get into this a little bit later, but you see two different responses between his response to the angel and Mary's response to the angel. Uh, his response to the angel is, I don't know if I believe this. Like, how is this possible? How is this going to happen? And the angel's like, all right, well, you can't talk. <laughs> like, <laughs> how's that, right? You have an encounter with an angel uh, as he's in the, um, the, the, the incense in the tent, and um, now all of a sudden he, he comes out and he can't speak. Like, that's a hard one to explain, right? 
And so he was, uh, he was mute the entire time that his wife was pregnant. But what's great about it is then you see the response of Mary. And you see the response of Mary that when the angel appears for her, her response is not, um, how is this possible? Like, how is this actually going to happen? Like, how is this possible? It's more of, okay, how is this going to take place? Do you understand the distinction between the two? It's a faith-filled answer rather than an answer that's got some unbelief in it. And so you can see the interactions that we have between uh, the angels um, and the characters that are in this story. Um, I love this. We, we look at the connection of John the Baptist to the coming of Jesus. Um, for those of you that know the story, it's such a cool story. We see the first interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus prior to either one of their births. Okay, So they're both in the womb, right? And we see a prior to their, boot, uh, their, uh, their births. Um, John the Baptist, uh, who at this point is a baby, uh, in his mom's womb, leaped at the sound of Mary's voice as, uh, as she greeted Elizabeth. And it says in that moment that they were both filled with the Holy Spirit, which is such a cool, cool, cool part of Scripture. I love that. Um, and you see the, the importance of the character that Elizabeth even played in the birth of Jesus because of her relationship to Mary. Like, understand, in, and again, I, I want to make sure that I'm not um, getting too ahead of myself here, but I think, I think I'm, this is the place to do it. Um, when, when, you look at, when you look at the life of Mary and you look at what she was facing in that culture, like, understand something. Like, this, was, this is pretty scary because the fact that she was going to be um, – she's pregnant outside of wedlock means that, like, hey, they, she could die. Like this is this is culturally not okay, and then you look at the white or the the role that uh, um, Elizabeth plays, who's an older woman, who's had experience, who's who would be a spiritual mentor. She's able to bring Mary in and be able to provide Mary with comfort. And here's the cool thing: she's not doing so under her own strength. She's been filled with the Holy Spirit. So she's doing so under the influence of the Holy Spirit, which is so cool. So there's wisdom and knowledge that she's able to do in providing mentorship to Mary, who's this young girl who's going to be the mother of Jesus. So it's so cool to see how God orchestrates things. And again, one of the great things that we see when we read Scripture, but especially the story, is nothing is happenstance. Nothing just happens accidentally. Like everything is orchestrated to the smallest detail so um, that God's will can, can take place. So we look at the connection, uh, again, between John the Baptist. Um, it talks about <clears throat> how John the Baptist in Matthew eleven fourteen 14, uh, is the promised Elijah who was come to prepare the way for Jesus. Um, his message was a call to repentance and in order for the people to receive a message of the kingdom, uh, that was to preach. I, if you were at prayer last week, I love what pastor David said. He said, as we read that, that, the, the role of John the Baptist wasn't just as a call for people to turn away from sin and repentance, but in that motion of them turning away and repenting, it pointed them in the direction towards the kingdom of God. And that was the role that John the Baptist played, was, hey, we're, we're, it's a call to repentance, but it's also a call to the kingdom of God. So John the Baptist played a, a very important role uh, in the coming of uh, Jesus. It says, him being the older uh, and the one in position... Um, he prepared a way for the coming um, up behind him. Uh, and we will later see that John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away uh, the sin of the world. All right, I've got about 10 minutes left. So um, we see King Herod here. So everybody knows King Herod's role, I think, for the most part, if you've read the story of, of the birth of Jesus. 
King Herod is the king at this time. Um, he was a practicing Jew. Um, uh, he didn't have full lineage or a complete understanding of the Jewish tradition. Uh, he wasn't a great king. He ruled, uh, he was kind of a tyrannical leader. Um, I'm not going to try to compare him to any leaders today. Uh, that's not good to do. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'll leave that aside. Uh, it also speaks to the environment in which he ruled. Um, again, like I said, it's the deadness of the religious leaders having some understanding but lacking depth and power. Um, and we go through and we see that the prophecies beginning to be fulfilled and him hearing that Jesus was born, it led him to go, okay, well, we don't know where this, this baby is, so we're just going to kill all the babies. And it led to this horrible um, uh, loss that took place. We see that, uh, let me see here, it, it fulfills, it, th this is the part where it fulfills the, the prophecy spoken by Jeremiah, um, which this is what the Lord says, a cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children are gone. So an important prophecy there fulfilled with King Herod's reaction to the coming of Jesus. Now let's look at the shepherds. Why are the shepherds included in the advent of Jesus? Anybody want to raise their hand? Okay, yeah. Anybody else? Oh, I thought you had your hand up, Dad. You want to answer, Dad? Anything? You got anything? You good? Okay. <laughs> Yes, so Jesus uh, being the shepherd, um, speaking of the shepherds, but the other side of it is understanding who the shepherds were. Like the shepherd's position in society at that point were looked at is like not the greatest people. Like being a shepherd wasn't, you know, wasn't the most glamorous, greatest thing to do. It, it also meant that they weren't able to, you know, because shepherds, like in the eyes of the Pharisees, the, the shepherds weren't able to keep up with even all the customs and the law that they were to do, like as far as... Um, not doing anything on the Sabbath because they had their their sheepfold to take care of. And I think the picture that we see here, or I believe the picture that we see here, is that why the shepherds are included is because we understand, again, that Jesus came for everybody. For everybody. Like, all, and that's that, I think, is my favorite part about this story is when you see the interactions that take place. Like, he's no respecter of persons. He, he's here for everybody, and you see that in the people that were able to partake and the people that were expectant. Here's the thing about the shepherds, too. When the angel appeared for the shepherds, man, they knew, based on what the angel said, okay, it's true. This has been talked about. This has been prophesied about. We're moving, and we're making, we're making our, 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 our um, journey to the Savior. So I love that. Like They were ready. They were ready based on what the Word of God was. So, so good. Let's look at Mary's faith. <clears throat> Mary's faith. So why did the Lord select Mary? Uh, again, the focus verse on this is Luke 1, 26 through 56. Um, I want to read this because I think this is so important on why uh, God uh, chose Mary. In order for the Christ to be born, the woman selected would had to have been set apart to allow Jesus to fulfill Scripture, specifically speaking to a virgin birth or a birth without contamination or spoil in the sense of the dilution of purity, namely a loss of virginity. Mary's virginity or untouchedness was only part of what the woman that would bear Jesus needed to fulfill. However, the reason Scripture later records her as blessed among women speaks to the other attributes she possessed in being set apart as Jesus' mother. 
The other aspect we want to understand is that this happened at an early age. I think it's important to understand that. Mary was, Mary was young, um, which was important because it means that she was largely still hidden from some of the aspects in life that could have contaminated her innocence. And so you see, again, the plan here is important um, in a more specific way than um, often does in the early years of one's life. It is important to note that Mary was simply a woman, not a deity. Uh, but one blessed with tremendous task to bear and raise the Son of God. Her willingness to receive this calling and step into further speaks to why the angel Gabriel um, was sent to her. She understood that she was what was being asked of her, which would have been to appear as one breaking the law or having sex before marriage. We talked about that a little earlier, the consequence that was ahead of her. But in this time, this was punishable by death. But look at Mary's response. But Mary took the angel's assignment with the appropriate weight and was willing to say, let it be done to me as you have said, and receive the call to conceive supernaturally while yet a virgin and bear and raise uh, the Christ child. Most importantly, Mary was of the right lineage which again speaks to the importance of the lineage of where Jesus would come from. As discussed earlier, and betrothed to Joseph, who was also of the right lineage, um, as one who would be considered Jesus's father uh, to other men. In this, we can see that Mary fulfilled the cri criteria to physically fulfill the requirements of the birth of Jesus, a virgin birth, and of the right ancestry, and spiritually was ready for the task. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think speaks to the fact that when you look, yeah, when you look at Mary, um, it speaks to the fact, I think, that her age being younger um, certainly speaks to the fact to a greater sense of faith because some of the things that we experience in life as we get older certainly can contaminate that. I think for all of us in this room, or most of us in this room, we can speak to that, right? Like, after you've had a couple jobs or been through the, you know, the ringer, so to speak, you're your life experiences, unfortunately, can alter your faith if you're not careful. And so in this, I think that this is, it speaks certainly to the importance of her age and to allow her the willingness to be able to take on the role of being the mother of Jesus and what a, what a role that was for her to fulfill. Um, why is it important for Mary not to lose faith? Um, understand this, God doesn't make mistakes, right? Like, we can all agree on that this morning, right? Okay? God doesn't make mistakes. He knew that Mary was fit to carry out the role that she was predestined to her, but that she would need support. And this, again, is what I love. As we will study later, she had relatives. We see Zechariah and Elizabeth, as well as Joseph, uh, through the uh, undergirding of her faith, that she was equipped to walk out the assignment that was given to her. You know, if we, if I, I looked at this as I was going through this, and I think about this, um, like if we're, if we're thinking about it from a practical standpoint, like obviously this was a big thing and this is a big part of the history of who we are and our faith. But even beyond that, like if God did it for Mary, God's doing it for us. Okay. And that, that's, as I was reading that this week, that's the one thing that I really pulled out of there. Like God had big plans for Mary and she was predestined to feel like that was who God had called her to step into. But the same is true for us. Like God has got big, supernatural things that he wants to birth out of us. And he puts relationships in our life, family, friends, church relationships, so that there's, there could be some growing and there could be some people that are older, like Zechariah, even though, you know, of course, like we know, he couldn't talk uh, until John was born. But beyond that, like you see the role that Elizabeth played in her life and you see the role and the importance of that role. And I would also say this, I think it's important. You see the role of how important women are 
in the, the history of Jesus. Like, it's, it's important, and it speaks again to the fact that God is no respecter of persons, um, which is so good. Um, I, I was wanting to ask this question, but I think we're going we're gonna to move on from this question, but it's what thoughts and struggles would Mary have likely experienced after receiving this word from the angel? I think we all understand there'd be some, some potential doubt that she could have walked in going, man, I don't know if I can handle this. What's going to happen? Am I going to lose Joseph? Like so much had to be put um, or had to be racing through her mind. But again, I love her response. Like, okay, I've got confirmation that this is who I'm called to be. And I know how this is going to happen. Let's rock and roll. Right. And uh, I love that. Love that faith from her. Um, why is it important to not regard Merity? Uh, Merity. <laughs> Mary as a deity. Uh, uh, the task was given to Mary was great, which was a task that she was the only one in history set apart to give birth to the Son of God. Uh, and it's easy to view this as tremendous, with tremendous death, depth and importance um, that this task is required for someone other than just in simple flesh to be taken. But what we see is Mary is a willing vessel. There's nothing necessarily like supernaturally that, that sets her apart from others other than the fact that she was a willing vessel. And it's her obedience and faith that set her apart and that made her um, the one that was chosen to do this. And so she's a significant figure in the face, faith, but she's no less human than other figures. That's important for us to understand. Like Mary is no less human than you and I. It was her faith and it was her obedience that called that allowed for her to step into that. Um, which again, I think as we read through those things, those are things we can identify in our own life is going, okay, it's our faith and obedience that allows for God to be able to use us in amazing ways. Circumstances around the birth, um, Luke 1, 5 through 80, Matthew 1, 8 through 25. Luke 2, 1 through 7, what's the difference between Zechariah and Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel? We went through that again. Zechariah uh, lacked some faith. Mary, full of faith. Uh, the significance of Elizabeth and her relationship to Mary. Uh, we see that Elizabeth was that mentor that she needed. Um, we also see that um, it was there to help her grow. Um, and then we also see the inter interaction between the two children, John the Baptist and Jesus. Uh, what was the structure of government during the time of Jesus's birth? Uh, we see that there's two different uh, lenses. There was Roman rule, which the Jews lived around in Roman governments. Governance, the Jews had to live by Roman regulations such as taxes. But also, when you look under the second aspect of government, it was under Jewish rule. Um, and you would see that like young Jewish boys would get an understanding of the Torah. They would be in the temple. So these are the two things that are taking place at this time. And then finally, as we are out of time, what struggle uh, of Joseph did the angel of the Lord speak to? Uh, Joseph could not fathom his soon-to-be wife being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That'd be hard, that'd be hard to fathom, right? Uh, men, can you imagine your wife coming home or soon-to-be wife saying, I'm pregnant. I promise I haven't done anything. You're like going, what? Uh, I'm sure that would be hard, uh, but something that had never been done before. Um, and... Uh, what we see that was not looked on by God as faithless yet, but we see normal doubt. Uh, we see that God responded to minister to this if Joseph considered how to best quietly separate from Mary. Joseph, man, what a great man of what a great man of God Joseph was. Uh, that highlights his character. But then God supernaturally intervenes to teach Joseph of the supernatural happening. This isn't something that Joseph could learn from the Torah because this had yet to happen. This is something that was new, right? 
God met him at his point of need to minister to his lack of understanding to what God was doing, and it ministered to Joseph in his place of faith and understanding. He began to grow as God moved. And again, God wants to meet us at our need and our lack of understanding and do the same thing. So the importance and the significance of the birth of Jesus um, is so, so important and, again, so unique. And one of the things that I hope you guys take away from this, um, I apologize that, that I had to rush through it. There was, there was a lot more that we could have covered in this subject, but is, man, when you're reading these, when you're in Scripture and when you're taking time to really go through and look at it and you're going back and forth from Matthew to Luke and looking at the different things and how the stories line up, understand this. God is in every single detail, like the smallest details. Oftentimes, it's those smallest details that are the biggest revelatory ones where you're going, holy smokes. Like, I had never seen that before because it's one small little detail that maybe you glimpsed over or that didn't at the time speak to you. Um, and so that's my hope as you guys are going through this, that you you glean some of that from there. So again, thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed being able to be here. Pastor Tonerai? All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Josh Romano. That was excellent. I appreciate your time. Um, so, yeah, correction. I think I was saying Solomon and I was supposed to say Saul. But you all are biblical students. You got it. You're like, yeah, you know, he's just waking up. So thank you for your grace. Okay. So um, I already gave you homework, that little chunk there that you're supposed to go through. Uh, please do that. Now, we don't mark you or chase you out if you don't do it. It's just this Daniel feels sad because he has nothing to do and he wants to feel useful in life. So please do your homework. Send it to him so that he feels like he's fulfilling his mandate in the kingdom of God. Because if you don't, he'll be like, oh, man. Why am I even alive? So don't, <laughs> so don't not do your <laughs> your homework, please. Uh, I can give him some work there. Uh, but thank you so much for your time. Uh, what I would like for you to do also, this you kind of don't have to submit unless you want to, is go through those questions that are in your workbook and see if you can explore more information on that. But in addition to that, write down some questions that you might have because I want us to have an opportunity to just interact on that, okay? All right, let's pray and then I'll let you go. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us. I pray that the word that comes from you goes, rests in our hearts and in our minds, that as we go from here, we continue to think on it, meditate on it, um, muse, and as we get to the end of uh, the day or week or whatever, it is, something will pop out of us uh, that will be such a a blessing to our minds and hearts of your goodness, of your nature and your truth. We understand that we are always going to constantly seek. And you said when we seek, we will find. So we thank you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're dismissed.